This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of men. You are the Renaissance. What I feel really, really hopeful and excited about is the opportunities that I'm getting now because so many men in MKP have gotten to a place where they're like, yeah, we need to open this work up. We need to invite as many men in to sit in circle and see what we do and, and have the experience. So the growing number of of open men's groups that are listed across the country and our use of meetup and the growing use of social media and all these things are just creating more and more openness and transparency. One of the pieces that that has led to is that I now have groups in several locations across the country and looking for more if you want Atlanta, Georgia. I'd like a group in Atlanta, Georgia to step up for this where if somebody calls me and says, hey, we want to go to the New Warrior Training Adventure in film, I can say, "Mm, no, thank you. Here's what I can offer you. We have a group of guys in New York City, in Los Angeles, in Washington, D.C., in Atlanta, Georgia, in St. Louis, in Chicago, in, you know, as many places as I can get who are ready and willing to have your correspondent and we would, you know, be choosy about who we would invite, but to have your correspondent come and sit and participate in a men's group. So we've now done this three times uh, with, with MKP men's groups. So there are two other pieces in the works right now, one with healthline.com, which is now the largest online health resource uh, out there, bigger than WebMD. Mm. So that was filmed last week. And then uh, we have a piece coming with Voice of America International. So we had uh, Genia, who is a a Russian journalist, sat in a men's group in Los Angeles with Michael Pierce and Steve Harper and those guys and really got intimate. And really, she experienced the men's group. She went to some of these guys' houses and sat down with their families and had conversations with their families. Um, and they'll be producing a piece. I'm not sure when that one's going to be coming out, but you know, Voice of America, that's like uh, six and a half million people around the world who get Voice of America content all the time. So uh, yeah, I'm really excited about that. And I think the more that we can do that, the more that we can say, yeah, we're an open book, come in, sit down, let us show you what we do. Let you know, get the experience of being with men who are in in their vulnerable emotions, who are in their authenticity, who are uh, being accountable for their lives. And I think that's what's opening the possibilities for us is yeah. saying, here, here we are. Hello, my name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast. How did you discover the Renaissance? And by that, I don't mean my brand. I mean this men's movement as a whole. Did you hear about it from an influencer or content creator on Twitter? Maybe a video or talk on YouTube. Lately, there's been some cool stuff happening on Instagram, so maybe you heard about it there. Or did a friend, 
relative, or brother give you a book? Possibly Iron John by Robert Bly, or The Way of Men by Jack Donovan. Or maybe you heard about it from Jordan Peterson. The point is, there are many ways into this men's movement. Over 40 years, we've all been standing on the shoulders of those who came before us, who propagated these ideas far enough so that they reached me sitting here and you sitting there. But I came into this movement through none of those doors. I entered via an organization that predates all of them, and that originated way back in the 1980s. That organization is the Mankind Project, which for 35 years has been running a weekend men's initiation experience that has now hosted more than 75,000 men around the world. In fact, I'll never forget the moment I saw a random acquaintance post on Facebook one Friday afternoon sometime in 2010, Today I begin my new warrior training adventure. I remember saying to myself, new warrior training adventure? That sounds like something I'd do. Though at the time, it was nothing like anything I'd do. But I heard something calling me. My own initiation. My opportunity to knock on the door of masculinity and make the single most important choice that led me here, right now. So naturally, when I started this podcast, I was excited for the possibility to speak to someone at the Mankind Project, and that's exactly what I got the chance to do. My guest this week is Boysen Hodgson, Communications and Marketing Director for the Mankind Project USA. He's the guy who gets MKP featured in places like Men's Health Magazine, GQ, The Today Show, and The New York Times, just to name a few, to get more men to knock on their own door of masculinity. He's also a man who had his life changed after attending his initiation in 2004 which you'll hear about in our talk. Over our conversation, we discussed the New Warrior Training Adventures archetypal initiation arc, the dangers of being a nice guy, and how to transition into being a genuinely kind man, and what the difference is. The value of having connected, high-integrity leaders in an ambiguous age, and finally the importance of inner work in a world of men's personal development that can often focus too heavily on the outer. One of the things I love most about this renaissance is that many different communities of men are approaching and discovering masculinity from many different angles. We're all brothers doing this, and we all have gifts to give each other as we create something truly noble and grand, maybe for the first time in history. I've learned a lot about masculinity in the years since my new warrior training adventure, but I feel confident saying that I wouldn't be here without it, and I might not even be here without the work of this man. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce this week's guest on the Renaissance of Men podcast, Boysen Hodgson of the Mankind Project. Boysen, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's great to be here, Will. Thank you. You know, I'm really excited to talk to you because the Mankind Project and the New Warrior Training Adventure has been such a huge part of my story and my growth as a man. In fact, as I often tell men, my New Warrior Training Adventure was the second most important day of my life. And the first most important day of my life was the day that I was born. It was that significant of a turning point for me. And so I'm always very grateful to be able to tell men about the New Warrior Training Adventure. And so I'm excited to talk to you about it so you can uh, relay what you know as the communications director for MKP and a man who yourself has been initiated. Thank you. Wow. Yes, thank you. So let's just get started with a bit of your background, maybe. And uh, from there, we can transition to talk about the Mankind Project and also the, the weekend. Uh, so how did you find your way into the Mankind Project? In 2004, I think your bio said, was when your initiation weekend was. That's right. 2004, I would have been about 32 years old at the time. And 
uh, I have a wild, fun childhood story. I grew up in very, very rural upstate New York, the 315 area code northeast of Syracuse, kind of south of the Adirondacks. And I was part of a big family. I have six brothers. Wow. Uh, I grew up with five of those brothers. Uh, and my folks, I lived on a farm. My dad was the small town veterinarian. So like everybody knew my family and, and for in a lot of ways, like age two to age 10 were idyllic. Like mm -hmm. my memories are, uh, we had a big, you know, 200 gallon horse watering trough out in the back pasture. And that was the swimming pool and miles and miles of open fields and riding my bike and going into, going into the little town of Cato and, and, you know, play and all of these things and kind of this, this perfect little rural upbringing. And then my parents got divorced mm -hmm. <laughs> when, I, when I was, when I was 10, 11 years old, uh, my parents split and, uh, that started a very, uh, a long period of what I call chaos. Mm -hmm. it, it, my life just kind of turned upside down. Both of my parents remarried very quickly after they got mm -hmm. divorced. Uh, there was like a lot of movement on a lot of uh, change and everything. And then my father got divorced again, got remarried again. My mother got divorced again, got remarried again. Oh, um, so just a lot of, a lot of chaos, mm -hmm. and, which I didn't know what to do with. And so and then at the same time, I grew up surrounded by boys and men. So mm -hmm. I didn't have like one, one model of what it meant to be a man. I had my dad. My dad's still in my life today, and I have a beautiful relationship with him. I had multiple stepfathers. Um, I, I had all of my brothers. I had all of this kind of male energy. And yet, you know, by the time I was 12, 13 years old, I had put on in men's work, we talk about putting on the mask, right? Mm -hmm. I, I had armored myself up with uh, being a good boy, being a good son, being a you know, high-performing school kid, like all of this like very charismatic, very sweet. Everyone would describe me as like this very sweet, nice boy. And I was like depressed and anxious and hidden and disconnected and, you know, stuffed everything. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm very aware that even, you know, 11 and 12 years old, I was hiding the vast majority of who I was mm -hmm. from everyone around me. And that was my way of trying to cope with the chaos that I grew up with. And, uh, you know, fast forward through my twenties and kind of getting a little more experience in the world and relationships and, and being in and out of this. And I ended up in a place in my late twenties where my world had shrunk down to where I had no close friends. I had almost no connection with most of my family. I was in a relationship with a woman that, and that was basically my only connection. Like that's all I, that's, that felt like all I had in the world. And I had lots of toxic habits that impacted that relationship. It was the relationship I would say was, was really super unhealthy for both of us. Mm -hmm. And uh, around the age of 30, that relationship ended, that finally ended. 
And I kind of came into my early 30s thinking, who the hell am I? What am I doing here? What do I do now? And as I started to get into, uh, you know, a little ways down the road, I started improving things and started on this kind of path of development. Meanwhile, all this was going on, and I had been hearing about the New Warrior training adventure from other members of my family at that point for almost eight years. Wow, like your brothers. My brothers. Yes, my brother, brother, who's 18 months younger than me, went through the training in 1997. As 96, 97, sometime around there. And very quickly after, followed by my dad, my older brother, other brothers, cousins, stepfather. All of these men went through sometime from 1996 to 2001. Wow. I was the guy saying, no, I don't want to be a part of your cult. Go away. (laughs) Yeah, of course. No, no, I'm not going to talk to you about this. No, I don't want to hear about it. No, I don't want anything. I have my books. I have my Road Less Traveled. I have my Robert Persig. I have my Alan Watts. Mm -hmm. I have my, if you meet the Buddha on the road, kill him. Mm -hmm. I have my, you know, I had all of my intellectual, spiritual bypass Mm -hmm. on lock and felt that like nobody's going to touch me, right? And that Mm -hmm. was kind of my MO from age 12. Nobody's going to touch me. Mm -hmm. And then my world fell apart, and I was uh, in a chiropractor's office. I was seeing a chiropractor for low back stuff, which I've had, and uh, he was kind of a woo-woo guy, Wayne Garfinkel. Thank you, Wayne. And uh, I cried on the chiropractic table. Like I I had a a physical release. I cried on the chiropractic table. Uh, He followed me out into the hall after, after we were all done. And, and he said, boys, and I can tell that you're really going through some stuff. I know that you, you, you're working hard on things and there's things going on for you. And I just want to know, have you ever heard of a thing called the new warrior training adventure? (laughs) Once or twice. Yeah. Yeah. Once or twice. And I said, i you know, literally said, fuck you, Wayne, mm-hmm. laughed and laughed in his face and then signed up for the new warrior training adventure within a couple of weeks. Amazing. Of doing. Now, did you tell your, your father and your brothers and your family member that you family members that you were going, or did you just kind of do it under the radar? Uh, they would have had an idea that I was going, but I didn't, I did not like say, Hey, I'm going at that time, I wouldn't have known anything about what the training was about, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I was, they knew that I was going to go and they, they said it's about time mm-hmm. is basically how they interacted with it. And so April 2004 uh, was when I uh, took that step and walked up and knocked on the door. Mm-hmm. And, and I heard you say it was one of the two most meaningful times in your life until that point in my life that definitely would have been about the most impactful event that had ever taken place for me. Yeah. It's a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. Yeah. It's only in hindsight that I was able to determine that. I mean, I recognized that I had just been through something very important and very transformative with regard to my relationship with myself and my relationship Mm -hmm. with other men. But as the years have gone on, I think I'm coming up on almost eight years now the significance of that has continued to deepen in me and to understand the ways that it really shifted something fundamental that 
over time has become more and more apparent. Yes, I identify with that as well. And in, in that ongoing, yeah, so one of the things that I say about that is 2004, that is 16 and a half years ago now mm -hmm. that I did that. And even now I can sit here and take a deep breath and physically experience what it was like to be there mm -hmm. in that room. I can see it and feel it in my body. And there are a couple of moments from that uh, weekend experience that are still uh, just viscerally locked in me mm -hmm. that I can call back to anytime. Now, for the men listening, we're unable to talk about what happens over the weekend. Oh, um, yeah? Well, oh, you haven't heard me yet. Oh, are you, are you going to share about uh, some of the processes? Because Oh, I, totally. Okay, because I generally don't really go into some of the things that happened, because for me, it was really important. Though I did discover on the Mankind Project website back in the day, there was, and maybe it's still there, there was a spoiler alert section where they outlined all the processes and orders. Like, if you absolutely have to know, here's what we do. And I haven't been able to find it since then, I, but I chose not to read that. It's like, okay, you know what? I don't want to know. I want to throw myself off the cliff and figure it out on yeah. the way down, which is how I do things. Um, yeah. But so I just, that's how I approach it with other men, but I wasn't, uh, obviously as the communications director, you are at liberty to share whatever <laughs> needs to be shared. And also as a, as a man who speaks for on behalf of yourself, you're also at liberty to share whatever you share. So if you want right. to share some of the processes, you know, this is, this is actually really exciting because some men are intrigued by the mystery and other men are frustrated by it. Yeah, that's, that's definitely been my experience talking to men about it over the years. And, and it's been a while that, you know, the, the idea of a secret, secret male ritual, like it's 2021. And, you know, I started saying this in probably 2010, 2011, like there's no, there are no secrets. Like if you want to know exactly what happens on the man, on the new warrior training adventure, like you can find out. And if you want to call me, I'll tell you exactly what happens. And you know what? The menu is not the meal. Mm -hmm. I can give you all the ingredients. I could put everything on the table in front of you and you have no idea what that's going to feel like or taste like, or what that experience is going to, is going to be for you on the other side of it. And I think that that's kind of the way that we've the way that the culture is has shifted and the culture is changing but yeah we can talk about the kind of i know that you want to get into kind of talking about what is an initiatory experience mm -hmm. what is what is this the hero's journey that we take men on through the new warrior training adventure and i'm happy to dive into that stuff sure please by all means i, I would actually love to hear some of your reflections about how your weekend went for you. And I can certainly share enough of my own experiences on the weekend as well. Plus staffing, is, as, which is another thing as well, to participate in, in these experiences later uh, yeah. as a facilitator in some sense. Yeah. So just kind of the biggest broad overview is, you know, we create a, an experience that is a group experience for men. And, you know, a lot of us have been to kind of ballroom trainings, right? We've been to the hotel trainings. We've been to things where there's a, a guru on the stage, the sage on the stage mm -hmm. who, who talks to us and, and gives us that. And maybe there's some experiential stuff that might get wrapped into that or, um, 
whatever it is, the new warrior training adventure is an immersive experience. Mm -hmm. It's an experiential weekend. It's Friday to Sunday. Um, when, uh, when we build a staff for the new warrior training adventure, that's going to be somewhere between 30 and 50 men welcoming 20 to 40 participants. Mm -hmm. So more staff than participants. So that's one like distinguishing factor. And we've been doing that now for 35 years and 75, about 75,000 men who have gone through that experience around the world. Mm -hmm. Literally around the world too. Around the world. Yes. So we have, uh, we have training, training locations in 12 regions around the world. And, and expanding and growing even now, still continuing to change. So the, the idea of an immersive experience for men and the idea of an initiatory process, an initiatory process is something that will take you on a journey from one state to another state, basically. And along the way, you're going to go through a pattern. There's going to be a pattern to what happens. And when the men who created the New Warrior Training Adventures put this all together in 1984, 1985, they had no idea what they were doing. Mm -hmm. They just said, what are we going to do now? We want to create an adventure for men. What should happen next? What should happen next? And then they ran it and they figured out that didn't work. This works. That didn't work. This works. That didn't work. This works. And within a year... They had solidified something that with modification, it's evolved over time, but it's almost the same process that they started running 35 years ago. Mm-hmm. When you enter the space, you're asked to take a risk and you're asked to, like literally the question is, are you ready to do whatever it takes to get what you came here for? Mm-hmm. And if you are, knock on that door. And from when you knock on that door, you begin a process of separation from what you're used to. Separation from the regular world into the unknown world, into a different state where you literally won't know what's going to happen next for the weekend. And through a descent process, Friday into Saturday, a descent process where you're you know, it's intentionally going to shake you up. It's intentionally going to kind of knock you on the side of the head and create cognitive dissonance and force you to look at choices that you've made and put you in a space with other men where you're seeing other men confront the choices that they've made as well. Being asked about like, okay, what is your integrity like in, the, in your world? What's your accountability? How accountable are you? What are you actually saying in your actions? What's the impact that you're having on other people around you? What's at risk for you to change in the way that you want to change? And building through there, through that descent process, building with men, putting together teams. There's a lot of fun. There's laughter. There's engagement. There's journal stuff. There's uh there's guided meditation. There's all kinds of things that are going to take you into that process. And by the time you get to Saturday, 
in this process of a hero's journey as described by Joseph Campbell and everyone else in, in every movie you've ever watched, every hero movie you've ever watched, right? Mm-hmm. There's an ordeal. You have to face your dragon. You have to face the ultimate consequence. You have to face something. And for us in the Mankind Project, like, you know, the dragons aren't out there. The dragons are in our bodies. The dragons are in our hearts. The dragons are in our minds. The beliefs that locked us in when we were children, the traumas that we've experienced, the impacts of actions that we've taken and things that have happened to us. And there is something that you need to do battle with. Mm-hmm. Something that, that is calling you to be touched, even though you're terrified of touching it. And for me, that, that experience, I said, you know, I locked myself down when I was 12 years old. I went away. I didn't know what it felt like to feel powerful in my body. I didn't know what it felt like to fully let loose and express myself unhindered. And on Saturday afternoon on 2004, on that new warrior training adventure, I got the physical visceral experience of letting it all out. And I got to witness 30 other guys (laughs) doing that too, all in different ways. For different reasons. For different reasons, yeah. Mm-hmm. Bringing their own unique experience of their lives and their unique experience of the world and all of their own history. And I was, I would have been a younger guy in the, in the space at that time, right? There would have been a guy or two younger than me and guys all the way into their late 60s and early 70s. That's right. And every one of us with our own experiences of the world. Mm-hmm. And every one of us quite literally circling up on the carpet to witness one another doing this emotional battle with what's been holding us back in the world Mm -hmm. that Saturday and the experience of community and the experience of kind of a ritual space and, you know, ritual gets made fun of a lot in in the cultures that most of us live in, right? We don't take ritual seriously. Unfortunately. Right. Yes. And ritual, uh, in my opinion, a ritual that is conscious and kind of purpose aware and has an idea of how it fits into a bigger scheme, right? It's like ritual for the sake of ritual, like whatever. Ritual for the sake of purpose, Ritual for the sake of building something, ritual for the sake of, of, of uh, personal and community development. So out of that win, out of that, out of that battle that you've done, you're welcomed into a sense of community. And that's really in a, a part of the initiation. Part of the initiatory process is doing battle and being wel- welcomed into community. And then the whole kind of reintegration into the normal world is about beginning to integrate that experience of, okay, you've had an experience now that you probably haven't experienced anywhere else or any in this way in your life. How do you begin to integrate that and know that you have a community that you practice that in, in an ongoing way. 
So there, I didn't tell you anything about what happened on the weekend. And now you know exactly what happens on the weekend. That's awesome. That's, that's very parallel to the terms, the terms that I use. I wasn't sure if you were going to break down individual specific processes. That's the level of detail that I don't really go into, but the overall, you know, hero's journey, descent, the call to adventure, the ordeal and the return is the, is the archetypal pattern that the weekend follows. And that much, I, that much I do share, but you know, in terms of, you know, what happens and when that much I don't go into, because I, I think it's important that men go into it with a spirit of adventure. And the spirit of adventure is to not know what's up ahead of you and that you commit to the adventure and to seeing it all the way through. Or as you say, are you, are you going to get what you came here for? Are you going to do whatever it takes to get what you came here for? That is the spirit of adventure. And by committing to that process, whatever it is, whether it's on the new warrior tra- training adventure or whether it's starting a new business or entering into a relationship or having a child or children, whatever it is, that's the spirit of adventure. And if you knew everything that was up ahead of you, then it wouldn't be so adventuresome. You have to be willing to take that risk. And so that's why you know I think men need to approach this with that spirit of adventure but giving the, a brief overview of the map. The map is not the terrain, as my friend Jameson says. That's right. Yeah, the map's not the terrain, but there's something beautiful in that the way that you just spun that is like, we're pattern makers, we're pattern seekers, we're pattern makers. And when I learn that I can create the patterns, mm-hmm. right? So that adventure, whether you're, my marriage is a hero's journey, my parenthood, is a hero's journey. Every road trip that we've taken is a hero's journey. And then I can see the world. That's a totally fundamentally different shift. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm I'm not just a being dragged along by the circumstances of my universe. That's right. That's right. You're you're actively participating and confronting circumstances as they emerge versus reacting to them, like going forward towards them with this feeling of, I will confront this and I will overcome it uh, in as high integrity a way as possible versus like, oh, this is coming at me and this is coming at me. It's like, no, you actually have to step into your ownership of yourself and your actions and your intentions as a man. And the weekend forces men into that position. And the thing that I wanted to add that is really special is to me was there was a particular moment in time after the carpet where it's like, who are you guys? And I was like, are all these guys like professional therapists? Like, where did all these guys come from? And the, 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 the man I was sitting with was like, no, we're all just men that have been through this. And that was really special to recognize that these aren't professionals. These are men who go about living their everyday lives in a variety of professions that have come together to facilitate this for other men. And it's such a powerful experience to recognize there's no special you know, institutional blessing that needs to be given to men. Of course, there's training that you have to go through to make sure that you can handle the processes in the container with the proper intention and skill. But there's no like, oh yeah, no, we've all got degrees from this, you know, credentialist kind of way of looking at things. Like, no, we're just everyday average men like the rest of you. And that for me was the biggest eye-opening thing. It's like, oh wow, men can do this for each other. That was my introduction to this larger world of, mm. you'd say, male initiation and 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 uh, and who men truly are. Yeah. Yes. There's a yes and in there for me. Mm. And, the, and the yes and is, so in the formation of that staff that we were talking about, there's going to be a guy who went through the same process six months ago or three months ago, right? Brand new. There's going to be a group of those guys. There's going to be a group of guys who have gone through this process as staff, you know, five to 10 times. And, and there is a, you know, in the Mankind Project, 
there is a kind of leadership training path that is that is peer reviewed, highly mentored, you know, facilitated. There's trainings that these guys go through so that they get training so that by the time they get to doing 50 or 100, there are guys who have done over 100 of these staffings mm-hmm. out there to become to become leaders, men who are burdened with the holding the whole container for the weekend, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's a group of men. And but the the beauty of it, as you said, is that I didn't know who those men were mm-hmm. when I went through the process, right? I knew that there were some, and yet, and yet, I will also say there was a moment of the weekend, and let's see if you've got one of these too. There was a moment on the weekend where I was, you know, sitting on the carpet and surrounded by other guys, and there was a a guy who was kind of leading a process talking about emotions uh, and, and we were all kind of participating in that. And yet I saw this guy at the front of the room and how he interacted and his presence in the room and how he saw the nuances of what was happening with other men in the room and how he was interacting and reacting to things. And I, I went, I want to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want what he has. That's right. And there's a lot of us, I think, who come through the weekend and, and see that, that there will be men who catch our attention as like, whoa, whatever he's done to get where he is, I want to practice that way. Mm-hmm. Because there's no, there, there are so few examples of that that exist in culture where men can look at other men and say, I want some of what he's got and not what he's got, like in terms of the car that he's driving or any of his material possessions. He embodies something that I intuitively recognize. And that's what I've always been searching for and maybe didn't even know it, but something inside me as a man is magnetically attracted to something that's inside him. How can I, how can I get some of that? Yes, definitely. And thank you for drawing the distinction between the men who are facilitating this weekend are trained and experienced, uh, but they don't necessarily, like the guy holding the container for the whole weekend doesn't necessarily have a PhD in psychology from Harvard, correct. you know, exactly. So maybe he yeah, works in construction correct. or something like that, you know? Yeah, he might, or he might have a PhD from in psychology from Harvard. Yes, I, so, I know him too. Like, <laughs> like you yeah. know, it's like both and in there. Yes, but the yeah. PhD in psychology doesn't necessarily isn't what made him in charge of the weekend. It's a that's correct. It's a very yeah. long process of of earning your way. Like, and just you know, to yes. to do a hundred staffings, you know, you can realistically. I mean, you could staff, I guess, multiple times in a year. But even if you staffed once a month with family commitments and work commitments, it would still take ten years of weekends to get there. Oh, yeah. Plus, you know other leadership training weekends. It's it's a significant process to get to that point of leadership. And these men carry the burden of leadership because they've they've earned it. And that's incredibly powerful to see and especially to feel. Yes, I agree. So as you went through the weekend and you came out on the other side, your weekend back in 2004, what shifted for you? I, yes, I kind of touched on this. I experienced other men and I experienced myself on that weekend that there was some point at which I got it that I could actually full-throatedly, wholeheartedly, full body mm-hmm. express express myself and and be present and not you know somebody else who I really a, a man who I really love like has has said something to the effect of. 
you know, the whole point of this is to get to the place where you can be face to face with another man and look him in the eye and not be afraid. Right. Mm -hmm. And I started out that weekend terrified of seeing myself in the mirror and terrified of being seen, Mm -hmm. Uh, like letting myself be seen, fully seen. And I, I moved through that. And that was like beginning. And that's just like the initiation, right? Beginning Mm -hmm. process. Because after that, so coming out of that weekend, then it's easy for a lot of us to go back to sleep, Mm -hmm. right? I, I could probably have gone back to sleep after, even after experiencing that state change, even after experiencing that, you know, catharsis. And because I was welcomed into a community and because I was then subsequently invited and welcomed into a men's group, those men didn't let me forget (laughs) what I had experienced. Right. So the work for me began on that carpet in 2004, but I would say that it wasn't until two years later in being in a regular men's group and being with men who the way I describe it is they loved the shame out of me for two years. Wow. When I, when I wasn't willing to love myself, wasn't able to love myself, wasn't able to see myself clearly, these men loved me and held me accountable mm-hmm. and challenged me mm-hmm. and got me to look at all of the, you know, the, the shit that I thought manhood was and to say, is that really what manhood is? Oh, no, it's not. Huh. Mm-hmm. What do I want my manhood to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All of these things are not separate. You know, when, when, when men support each other, when men love each other, that there is accountability is a big part of that. You know, like, like Ken Wilmer says, real compassion will fry your ass, my friend. I love that quote because when you really are compassionate with your brother, it's like, no, I am holding you accountable and it hurts and it fries your ass. But if you can make it through the process, and if I can hold that space with you, you'll come out on the other side, hold that container with you. You'll come out the other side and you'll see that what I did, I did out of love. And this is the thing that brothers and men can do for each other, even though it may be hard, even though it may hurt. That's sometimes the most compassionate thing we can do for each other is to hold someone to account, even though it hurts, but then they'll be grateful on the other side. If we can you know, both mutually commit to that process and stick with it, which can sometimes be very difficult, but that's what men's groups are for. Yes, absolutely. Beautiful paradoxes, right? Mm-hmm. That's a, that, that Wilbur quote. Yes, beautiful paradox. So here's a paradox. I'm in pain. I want relief from my pain. I got relief from my pain on that weekend in 2004, but it also introduced me to a whole new level of pain that I didn't, <laughs> that I, I didn't ask for this, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. The framework of what I thought the world was supposed to be and who I thought I was supposed to be in it and how masculinity and femininity worked and how all of that stuff, like, then I was challenged to, like, question all of that. Yeah. Which is a whole different kind of pain. Mm -hmm. Don't fall back on your childhood socialization. Don't fall back on, you know, common parlance. Don't fall back on this man box culture. Mm -hmm. Don't go back into the box. And you know, the Zen, the Zen don't go back to sleep. It's very easy to. Yeah. 
without well without a, a group there to keep you moving forward. And you articulated something in in where you where you began your journey, I guess you might say, with the road less traveled by Dr. Scott Peck uh, and mm-hmm. you know Robert Persig, the Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, and and that whole world. You know that that's the the sort of I guess you might call it the New Age spirituality kind of kind of guy where it's like that can be a very powerful way of, of armoring oneself it's like nope i've read all the books and i know all the things and i'm going to be peaceful and calm and nothing can perturb my my inner state of being and that is one very particular kind of man uh, that's not the only kind of man but that's a very particular kind of man that equally doesn't understand himself well and needs to come to understand who he authentically is past all the quote unquote spiritual teachings and that that was my experience was to I lived in San Francisco at the time and I had read all the books and did all the the right practices and stuff like that but I found that I was deeply disconnected from who I was not that the things in the books weren't true but they Correct. weren't the end of the story beautiful paradox yes again love it i was a dangerous man because i was not in touch with how dangerous i was it's the nice guy syndrome right yeah i i was definitely a nice guy and women who that i women who i was in relationship with and it, to this day i can you know i am challenged and called out for being for being passive aggressive for being you know on a moral high horse for being judgmental for being patronizing for being you know a lot of these things that I'm not an outwardly aggressive. I'm not a physically aggressive man. I'm not. A, I don't yell. I don't rage. I don't do all of that stuff. But until I found a safe place in a circle of men where I could express that, mm-hmm. I was dangerous to myself and others. Absolutely. Yeah. Have you read Doctor Glover's uh, Robert Glover's No More Mister Nice Guy? I have. And did you know that Doctor Glover is also a new warrior? Is he really? I'm I'm talking with him in a couple of weeks. It makes sense that he would be. So yes. Recent. He is a recent, uh, I think it was three years ago. He went through the training and, and we had a conversation, had a conversation with him about it. uh, I don't know, a couple of years ago, might be more than three years ago. He went through the weekend, but yes, I, I can tell you the time and place that I listened to that book on audio Mm -hmm. and, and how it impacted me. Yes, absolutely. Well, when and where did you listen to that book? I was on my, I was on route two, driving from Greenfield, Massachusetts to North Oxford, Massachusetts to staff a new warrior training adventure. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) And what happened when you listened to the book? It was like just confirmation and gratitude, right? So the confirmation, seeing myself, seeing myself in the no more Mr. Nice Guy, in the nice guy archetype and and in the ways that I had done that. And it was a, a deeper accountability process for me mm-hmm. about who I had been in my previous relationships and who I am at risk of being in my marriage. Mm-hmm. Disingenuous, disconnected, always willing to please instead of being in the good, in the good rumble instead of being willing to be in the rumble. So that's, I just brought Brene Brown into the room. Hi, Mm -hmm. Brene, welcome. (laughs) Um, Being in the good rumble in my relationship, which is healthy, Mm -hmm. right? I I glossed things over. That's a common experience. That was my experience reading the book too. I read it about five years after my my new warrior training adventure and 
And I still recognized images of myself in that book. Like, oh, yep, I'm still doing that. Like the work doesn't stop. It's not like you go on the weekend, you rave magic wands, like, congratulations, you are healed. You are now good at being a man. It's like, no, no, no. This is the beginning. It's an initiation. It's the beginning of that process. Yes. And that's a, and I also want to couch, I want to couch something too, which is I'm still a nice person. Yes. I'm still a kind, generous, compassionate. I'm more compassionate, you know, more empathetic than I ever was before, but it's the false nicety. Mm -hmm. It's the false, it's the false, it's the spiritual bypass. Mm -hmm. I used all, I devoured all those books so that I could be more fucking (laughs) self-righteous than everyone else in the room, right? Like that was me. That was the way that I armored myself up. And then you just said something else, which is, you know, the word that I use to describe manhood these days is, first of all, I think masculinity is a meaningless term unless you contextualize it. If you say, you know, sacred masculine, I'm going to ask you like, oh, how do you define that? And let's contextualize that because otherwise it's meaningless to me. Manhood, masculinity, femininity, this human beingness, practice. It's a practice that you, you don't get a sticker that says you're done. <laughs> Right. So Mm -hmm. if I forget, if I forget that, please slap me. Like if (laughs) I think I've got, if I think I've got it all figured out, which I do a lot of the time, you know, then the universe needs to hit me on the side of the head again to remind me that I don't Mm -hmm. go back to the practice. Right. Yes. I mean, there is a, there is a quality there. There's a distinction that you, that you drew between being a nice guy uh, and being, and being like the quote unquote, nice guy, the Robert Glover image of it. And also the distinction that I want to draw is between that and being properly socialized. You can be kind and generous and gracious in, in, in public and social situations in your relationships and be genuine. That's being socialized, which is fine. But to be a nice guy, to be, to be wearing that as an armor beneath someone who's actually angry, hurt, resentful for all sorts of things that have nothing to do with the current moment. That's where the problem is, where your outer behavior and their inner self don't align, but where you can bring those two in alignment, where you can bring forth your nice and kind and generous side into your social environments, that's being properly socialized like a healthy human being is. So I wanted to just draw that distinction because this word nice gets very fuzzy once we start talking about these things like, yes, I am nice, but I'm socialized. I'm not nice because I'm pretending. Yeah. And yes, I absolutely agree with what you just said. And no, you don't have my permission to be a dick just because you're saying that you're not a nice guy anymore. Right. Like that. Right. You know, like not me, obviously. Yeah. Not you, obviously. (laughs) Other, other men. Of course. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of men's concerns are when they go through these weekends or these processes, like, I'm not going to stop being a nice person. Am I? It's like, no. Once you get in touch with your, I want to talk about masculinity separately, but for now, we'll just keep it in the sense that you mean practice-wise. Just because you get in touch with your manhood or your masculinity or your inner sense of power or your inner sense of authenticity and being as a man doesn't mean that you're suddenly going to turn into some unsocialized or desocialized you know, brute who gets an underbite and carries around a club. Like we're still living, we still live in civilization. We still live in society. And so your challenge will be to begin bringing out those socialized aspects of yourself that are genuine to preserve the relationships that are important to you. 
so that you you know so that you learn how to balance these aspects of being a man it's not that you're trading one way of being for another it's that you're getting rid of the inauthentic way of being and you're bringing forth all the different authentic ways of being into your life and that's some that's more that's more difficult to conceptualize i think it's easier mm-hmm. to think mm-hmm. we've traded black for white it's like no 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 you have to learn how to bring all forth all the all the shades within yourself totally and coming from my my feminist perspective also like there's been backlash against men's organizations men's movements men's men's stuff you know even the homogenous kind of men's group and rightfully so if that progression if that process if that practice is not accountable to the impacts that it creates in the in the world right okay i can i can see some of that yeah yeah so i i i don't go to men's group so that i can be unapologetically unaccountable for the impacts of my behaviors okay in the world okay yes uh i would say to that i would modify you know the 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 impacts of my behavior in terms of me being out of integrity in some way because what someone may find objectionable to my words and speech if i am not intending to cause any harm if i'm for example just speaking something that's true and if someone decides to be upset or hurt by offended by that which happens very often in our dialogue you know where is my accountability that i i spoke truth quietly and clearly and you know someone else could be very much offended or hurt by that and it's like i really there's nothing i can do because i spoke truth in the situation so what would the impact be evaluated to be in this situation it's like well you know i i feel like my accountability ends in that regard and and there's other work to be done elsewhere in civilization as well and if i've done my part then i can guide others to the place where they might have to do work and our society as a whole has a lot of work to do but uh so far that's a more difficult conversation to have that's a very deep difficult yes yeah i'm i'm with you and there's a lot to unpack in in that for sure yes yeah, absolutely yeah well around yeah. this notion of uh, oh sorry did i if you were going to say no something. that's good go ahead uh around this notion of masculinity um there's a book yeah. by uh, this author jack donovan called the way of men have you heard of this book i have yes he does a really good job of boiling down masculinity authentic timeless masculinity to four virtues that men mm. throughout the ages have selected the best among them as qualities as they have as qualities of those men having strength courage mastery and honor and he he goes into them in this book where he says men throughout all of time have chosen from amongst each other the men that best embody those four virtues as the best of masculinity and those are authentically masculine virtues that men choose for and i think that's a pretty good argument for saying these are things that are truly unique uh, to men and that truly that we value each other based upon and i think that's the best framing that i've found of a masculinity that transcends any sort of uh cultural distinctions because he does it in a cross cultural and i guess cult- cross cultural in terms of time as well kind of way strength courage mastery and honor i hear i hear you um and wonder about which of those things is not also 
accessible and honorable, valuable as human characteristics outside of what would be associated with men. Let me see if I understand the framing of your question. It's sort of you're asking the question in inverse. Like you're also asking, wouldn't some of these also be applied to humans in general, right? Humans, human characteristic, yes. I think they find a very different expression in women, but for one, for example, mastery, mastery of a particular skill, courage. I don't think that there are many male societies that value, or sorry, many societies that value courage in women in the same way they do in men, for example, for in war. I don't think that societies would value women going charging into battle in the same way. We're talking about it from an evolutionary psychological perspective, where I guess you might say uh, eggs are expensive and sperm is cheap, where the loss of a woman is the real loss of the ability to procreate your tribe, your culture, your species, versus men are in some sense by that regard replaceable and have been sort of treated as replaceable. And also men accept this in a way. It's like, no, I will die on behalf of the tribe you know, that's why they say sure. women and children first. So all of these, they do apply to women, but in a very different kind of way. And we also don't select women based on courage. Like, oh, you know who I, I really want a courageous woman. It's like, well, maybe, maybe I want a, I want a masterful woman. It's like, well, are these the words that we would use to describe the characteristics that we as men value as women or that women value in each other is probably another way of looking at it. When women look at each other and say, you know what I really admire in other women is mastery. I don't know that that sort of thing really applies in the same way. Perhaps that would be a hmm. question to ask women. Maybe there's a, a room in there to write a book called The Way of Women. Maybe. Yes. This is, we, we are down the rabbit hole here. We can, sure, we can exit the rabbit hole at any time. <laughs> and, and I would just want to, I just want to say, that's a story that we can tell. That is like yeah. what, how you just framed. That is a story we can tell. Yeah. And, um, and it's a cultural story that we can tell. And I think there are other stories to be told. And I think even in the, I think, again, the context, how do you want to contextualize it? Whose perspective are we seeing? And what you just said, maybe we should ask women about that. Because if, if I think about, you know, I can make up a story on the spot. I'll make up a story about women a thousand years ago or 1500 years ago and where one woman would look to another woman and see her mastery of creating a new tool or weaving a piece of cloth or uh, processing this, uh, this herb spice seed something from the soil mm-hmm. and where that would be the highest level of honor, where that would be what what that woman is brought forward for is her level of mastery and strength of a particular needed skill to hold the tribe together. Right. So it's just, a sto- mm-hmm. it, there's a storytelling thing around masculinity that that's, that's where I come from. And that's not a mankind project perspective. That's a boys and Hodgson perspective for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Right. It's oh, just yeah. like, let's tell different stories and let's look for other perspectives on the stories we tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. And let's also, let's try to ground our stories in, in aspects that we believe as best as possible are realistic depictions of where we've come, we've come from as a species, because we are in a very ahistorical kind of time. Good. I agree, I agree with that. And also where we've come from as a species, where we are now and where we're going. So 
I am also like, oh, because it was that way, maybe, mm. doesn't mean that it has to be that way mm-hmm. going forward. And what do we have at our fingertips now that we didn't? What do we have as capacities, human capacities now that we didn't have? Mm-hmm. Which I think is an exciting place of opportunity for all of us. I agree. And and yeah. in the in the excitement of the new, let's also make sure not to lose connection with the old because that's that's no greater. That's mo- no more authentic way of being. If we are, for example, being unconscious in one way, it's no great <laughs> transition to be unconscious in a totally different way. Good. I love that. Integrated. Yes. Yes. yes you're I heard you talk about Ken Wilber. So we're, we're having an, hello folks, we're having an integral theory conversation without actually having an integral theory conversation. Welcome to it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Welcome, welcome to Will's integral theory conversations <laughs> with Boyson. I didn't, I did not see an integral theory conversation evolving from this, but I shouldn't be surprised that it did. So that's how I can, there we go. What a beautiful segue back to the mankind project, uh, and the new warrior training adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that I'm amazed by and that I continue to be amazed by as I, as I watch, uh, so since 2004, it's now 2021, we're in a different kind of world, we're in a different kind of cultural, many different kinds of cultural moments that call on each of us to awake, awaken in new ways, mm-hmm. right? Awaken mm-hmm. to different perspectives, awaken for new ways of seeing the world and, and interacting with the world. And something that I found extremely valuable about MKP is you, we just jumped off the deep end into an integral theory conversation without even saying anything about it. Mm-hmm. And I could give you a list of three dozen other men in MKP who could do the same thing mm-hmm. without even thinking. And I love that uh, that the organization has engaged in these kind, continues to engage in these kinds of discussions to, to say, what, what's new? What's out there? What, what else are we not seeing? What else can we integrate? What else can we be confronting in ourselves in, in the way that we're looking at the world? Which I, to me, feels hopeful. And looking out, as you said at the very beginning of the cons- conversation, at the landscape of all the other things, all the other nodes in this network of kind of awakening, uh, cultural, little microcultural awakenings going mm-hmm. on all over the place that I think is just, is, is cool and hopeful for where we're headed. Hi, everyone. I hope you're enjoying my podcast with Boys and Hodgson of the Mankind Project. This is just a quick reminder to follow me on social media. I have the most fun on Instagram at Ren of Men. That's R-E-N-O-F-M-E-N, like Renaissance of Men, but shorter Ren of Men. I'm really having fun using the visual medium paired with words to get my point across, as many incredible creators there are. In fact, some of the most exciting innovation and in masculinity is being done on that platform right now, for sure. I'm also on Twitter at Will underscore Ren of Men, and you can find me having fun there as well. Also, don't forget to check out my website, renofmen.com and especially visit the library section to find more authors, leaders, and creators making this movement go. And before I split, just a reminder that you, yes, you listening, yes, you, can head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a five-star review. Even if you're on Spotify, it's totally cool and will help more men discover this podcast. Thank you. And a written review would be even more amazing because it helps me and other men know the value that you get from this podcast 
and especially the men who donate their time to me in order to produce it. Coming up next week, I'm very excited to be hosting Jack Donovan as he releases his new book, Fire in the Dark. I've also just finished recording a podcast with Pastor Michael Foster, who's exploring interesting syntheses between Christianity and masculinity. And tomorrow, I'm very excited to be interviewing Dr. Robert Glover, author of the renowned book, No More Mr. Nice Guy. Okay, that's all for now. Please enjoy the rest of my conversation with Boys and Hodgson. And that's been my journey since my new warrior training adventure was to begin that walk of going and on walkabout, I guess you might say, through all of these microcultural nodes in this in this world of men. And I've been through many and read many books and and met many men and and have become sort of a chronicler, I guess you might say, in a way. I have a, on my website, uh, renofmen.com, I have a section called The Library. And on this book, on the section of my website, you know, I list all the books and communities and, and leaders. And excuse me, there's a car alarm that keeps going off outside my apartment, <laughs> but uh, that have all contributed elements to this conversation. Yeah, and cool. it's, it's a really fascinating thing to take a 30,000 foot view of and to say, well, what are these guys saying? And what are these guys saying? And what are these guys saying? I think of it very much like the blind men and the elephant. That everyone's got a, a hold of a of a different. You know, one guy's got a hold of the leg and the trunk and the ears, and it's like they're all trying to describe this this thing that we're all figuring out, and that somehow we lost touch with. Maybe we never knew what it was to begin with, but certainly right. now we have enough collective information that we can share amongst each other that maybe we can create it a new in in a real way for the first time, or maybe we're recreating something of the past that was incomplete. It's kind of unclear, and that is evolving now at this moment. And that's really exciting to me. This is a, I think of this very much as a, a seminal moment in human history. And that's why I call it the Renaissance of men. Because in the Italian Renaissance, you know, there was this time of feudalism, of this sort of collectivism, I guess, imposed by the divine right of kings. And in the Italian Renaissance, they rediscovered the classics of ancient Greece and Rome and some other texts as well. And artists and musicians and engineers and philosophers created the notion of the individual, perhaps for the first time. And it was this a collective awakening, at least on, in the Western hemisphere in this way, that went on to spread in some very powerful ways. And I think the exact same thing is happening now in the world of men. And it's, it's, I've been a part of it and I've seen it take place. And I know you have as well. Uh, it's just incredibly thrilling to me. And it's become my life's work. Mm. And, and I hope, uh, yes, I agree with that. And I hope that there's also that this integrative thing that we keep hitting on, right? Like I am, I'm looking out at the world and hoping that we collectively men, uh, are committing ourselves to doing the hard work of integrating perspectives, integrating other perspectives, integrating deeper levels of kind of self-responsibility and collective responsibility for who who we are and how and what's possible for mm -hmm. us like yeah so i think that's really cool mm -hmm. there was something else that you something else that you hit that i that just glanced off me and i missed it yeah maybe it'll come back mm. if it does let me know but mm -hmm. I, I think the the important aspect of the mankind project is that the first thing is that it requires men to be able to go within and to look within mm -hmm. themselves first. It all begins there. It all begins mm -hmm. there. Because if you're unable to confront anything within yourself in an authentic way, in an appropriate way, in a loving but also strong way, 
how are you going to do that with anything outside yourself? Yes, I, yeah, I fully agree with that. And I think that that is a beautiful thing that's happening in many of these microcultures is that integration of the internal, return to the internal, ex- exploration of the internal and, and how our heart connections, my empathy expands out of how vulnerable I become, right? That strength in the vulnerability of that exploration that I think is really, really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes, makes me a better human being. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course. Being able to be vulnerable with oneself, especially, because that's where the, the, the beginning of the self-integration happens, is to be able to say, I have been closed off. Parts of me have been closed off to my own self. And I need yeah. to open up to that first. And once I'm able to do that, you know, and release all that discharge of energy, you know, and really feel that energy at the same time, that just begins this powerful process of oh, self-integration and self-assembly is kind of the way that I think about it. Yeah. Yes. And yes. And the culture's awakening recognitions about somatics and how we store things in our bodies and epigenetics and how we store things from generation to generation and mm. the impacts of trauma on on individuals and collectives in the culture and that all of these things are meeting mm-hmm. all of these things are converging oh, yeah. to where it's like you know we're asking the ceo we're asking the ceo in the corner office to be looking at his childhood trauma in order to better lead an organization like yes mm-hmm. like we need that for sure mm-hmm. yeah oh absolutely we need yeah. it we need it more than more than ever in a way because the best leaders of men are men who have integrity and we recognize and resonate with integrity in other men you know it when you're around it yeah. and to have a, a leader of men who is in some ways disintegrated or not integrated with himself and the capacity right. of being able to be honest with himself and honest about the things that have you know uh, that are part of his family and part of his upbringing i don't want uh, i don't want a disintegrated leader we have enough of those i want integrated leaders because those are the right. ones that make the best decisions for themselves for the people under their care and who view leadership as a responsibility not some sort of like again divine right of entitlement exactly yeah, that's beautiful. And that those same men are also going to, and this is, you know, other things that MKP is connected to these days that kind of, uh, you know, in the corporate world, looking at that and saying, okay, now how do these integrated men interact with, with other people, with people of difference, with women, with people of color, with LGBTQ, with all of the, at all of these other intersections. And it's only through that deep integration that you know, one man of quality having healed his own wounds can then elevate respect and create, help create the kind of equity and equality in a workplace or in a community or in a family or in a school system or in a whatever else kind of institutional space that we're building together, right? It provide, yeah, it raises everybody up. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, your ability yeah. to. Your ability to interact from a place of integrity with everyone around you, whatever whatever uh, background they come from, is essential. 
as essential. It's like there's a person in front of you. Are you going to speak to this person as if they're a person? Or are you going to speak to this person as if they're somehow an identity? Well, that gets back to how you relate to yourself. Um, all these things, you know, these things, as you say, these things are a practice. You know, yeah. again, we can tell a lot of stories, but at the same time, like this is a practice. So how are you practicing it? How is it playing out in your life? And just to be clear, this is a 360 thing. You know, I think that I think one of the challenges is like, oh, somehow it's somehow all all on men. It's like, oh, well, you have to do this. Like, well, you are the guide for other people to begin doing that for themselves. And that's that's somehow um, that's being translated slowly. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So where's where does this all leave us? Well, like in terms of where is it all going or or (laughs) having said all of this, having brought all of these beautiful things together. Now what? (laughs) I wish I could give you an answer that I could really land in. Mm. I can tell you, I can tell you what I'm doing, Mm. uh, which is studying, researching, understanding, talking, gathering in as much information about this as I can to attempt to formulate something that reaches as many men as possible. To attempt mm-hmm. to, to attempt to formulate something that is as universal as it can possibly be, while understanding that I will fail at that task, that I will never succeed in creating something universal. But my aim with the Renaissance of Men is to create something as universal as I possibly can, because I believe fundamentally in the goodness of what we are doing, and I believe mm-hmm. fundamentally in the goodness of myself and my intentions. Because the beginning of my journey with the Mankind Project was just the beginning, and seven years of very intense self-work followed in all different contexts, you know, uh, climbing as far up to the top of the mountain as I could get and uh, discovering that what I have in my heart is fundamentally good and um, pursuing that and continuing to trust in that. And from a position of faith, uh, I think that I will um, continue in that journey and, and hopefully bring this good thing to as many men as I can. Well said. And now you. <laughs> Uh, I transform culture by designing change and building bridges. That's not the same mission statement that I walked out of my new warrior training adventure with, but it's awfully darn close to what I emerged from that weekend in 2004 with. And yeah, so that's where, that's where I'm at. And I think transforming culture by designing change and building bridges. Mm-hmm. And if I'm on point with that in some way every day in the work that I'm doing, then I, it's been a good day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been a good day for me. And yeah, and I also recognize, so from the the broad and global and cultural down to, you know, living in, living in these times, living in, in this, this world at this time, like every day I get to practice presence with my kids, Mm. good or bad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Every day I get to practice presence with my wife. And, you know, so the invitation to men out there is, it's kind of like, yeah, it's scary. And how are you really feeling today? And if you're willing to share that as a first step, 
you know, cause like I didn't do this alone. Will, you didn't do this alone. Mm-mm. Right. And it was only me getting beyond that. I, I am, I am the one, the one, the one. It was me getting beyond that into, Oh, there are other men here who are willing to actually come to me and, and ask me how I'm doing. And I will tell them the truth. Mm-hmm. Right. And when I do that, I create a better space for my kids and a better space for my wife. <laughs> and yeah, so that's, that's the invitation to men out there is do it because it's worth it for you and the impacts that you can create out of that work are profound. You touch on something really important, which is where many men are landing today, which is fatherhood which is mm. this idea of we as men in this particular stage of history were handed a specific set of circumstances, be it mm. from our culture, from our families, from our parents. Um, my Just as a quick aside, I don't think even the best father in the world could have prepared his son for 2020. I don't think that I don't think anyone who was born in the 70s or the 80s, their parents could have possibly prepared them for the world that was coming. So even that, even the best father, even the best mother didn't couldn't see what was coming. So in some sense, we were born unprepared for what was coming. And if we have to forgive our parents for doing the best they can, the best they could, even if they didn't do the best they could in the same way. So now we're recognizing that we've inherited these circumstances and we've inherited these stories and inherited, in some sense, these wounds that our parents passed down or even new ones that they gave us. And yet it's our responsibility to sort them out for the next generation, for our children, for our sons mm-hmm. and for our daughters. And many men are landing in that place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. And what a responsibility and an opportunity. Mm-hmm for us and and right back to that healing um i have to be i have to be consciously working to heal myself in order to create a space for others to heal and when those of us who are committed to that work of healing ourselves are together we create the opportunity to heal something a little bit bigger something mm-hmm. bigger than ourselves mm-hmm. and again don't go back to sleep mm-hmm. I can go back to sleep. I can watch Netflix instead of instead of working my inner trauma. I can watch Netflix instead of feeling mm-hmm. feeling what I'm feeling today. And yeah, I'm I'm going to keep choosing keep choosing to stay awake. Yeah, the the old patterns, the old patterns of fatherhood. I don't raise my kids like my dad raised me. Mm-hmm. I guess I'll just say that. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. what's yeah. one of the, what's one of the major differences? I don't know everything. <laughs> Amazing. Like seriously. Yeah. Like, you know, the, the kind of level of autonomy and, uh, rightness that my, my dad kind of owned as owned as an entitlement of fatherhood and my mom too, you know, it, it's the culture is made by everyone. The culture is a, a, it's, we all play together to build the culture. But there are lots of times today when I think if you look at your kids and you're telling your kids that you know what's going on, you're lying. You're lying. And they know. Mm-hmm. Truth's in the relationship. Truth's right there. So for me, being in the practice and being authentic in my parenthood 
means being as present as I possibly can in the big not knowing. Mm -hmm. And holding a container for my kids to feel that without getting lost in it. That's right. Right? Because mm -hmm. we're all sitting in the big not knowing together. And I'm not going to pretend that I have all the right answers. And and I think that and I think that my kids see that and it's a scary it's it's frightening and it's comforting to know that I'm not pretending. They can look at me and know I'm not pretending. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now I'm not a father. I'm looking forward to being a father, very much so. <laughs> Is there yeah. also space for saying this I do know. Well, there's a space. This is, yes, there is. And it's a different kind of this I do know from my practice. And here's somebody else that practices it this way too. And here's other places that we can explore together of other people who have discovered this. Mm -hmm. Right? So the, the foundational kind of the truth Oh, mm -hmm. isn't, isn't that way anymore. And kids, you know, I have teenagers, <laughs> they're six, 16 and 14. Right. Right. So I can't tell them anything that they can't go look up. That's true. That's not how it was when I grew up, mm -hmm. you know, so there is a burden of proof and a burden of reality that it's incumbent upon me to be aware of the burden of reality. Mm hmm that's out there. Yeah. yeah. Authoritarianism is ineffective. Authoritarianism is, is, and yet we rec and yet I recognize the pain, discomfort, fear of those and, and have compassion for the pain, discomfort, and fear of those who would like to go back to a time when ultimate authority could be claimed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The ambiguity is very difficult at times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is a, it is a feature of this age that we're struggling with a great deal of ambiguity of, uh, who am I? Who are you? Where are we going? What's happening? You know, all of these things and different different people cope with it or adjust to it or respond to it in different ways. And it's something that I think, as as men or as individuals, we all just need to kind of sit down and get comfortable with. Like right now, it's very ambiguous. And there's nothing that can be done about that except to attempt to minimize the amount of ambiguity that exists in our in our lives and in the difference between our words and our actions. That's that's what I exert control over is to say nice. the way that I can yeah exactly thank you is to say uh, I'm going to be unambiguous in what I say and the difference between that and my actions will be as close to zero as I can get it while we're meaning a human being. That's beautiful. Yeah, congruence, integrity, yes. right in the in the pure word of in the purity of the word. Yeah, I think that's super important. And also, I get to model choice about loving in the ambiguity anyway, mm -hmm. which is a powerful thing. Like, you know, I, I have a choice every day between kind of hopeless nihilism and, and optimism of choice. Mm -hmm. You know, I choose to love in spite of, <laughs> mm -hmm. in spite of the difficulty and the fear and the pain and the, on all of that stuff. So I think I, you know, on good days, on good days, I'm doing that fairly well. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, and also self-love. I, I think that, yeah. you know, 
like you, when we started our conversation, we first yeah. started the call, like, you know, you showed me some of the gifts that you had given yourself in the day that, that help you get through what are very difficult and ambiguous times. And I, and I honor you in that, you know, like, I like my dark chocolate. You know, that's just how, that's, oh, yeah. just, that's just my gift to myself. You know, I had Chick-fil-A for dinner last night. That's my gift for myself, you know, and I get to do that because I'm an adult and it's not like betraying myself to give myself a, a treat or something like that. You know, it's not like, it's not like, you know, my parents may have handled things like that where you get rewards for good behavior, et cetera. It's like, no, no, I care for myself and I'm going to allow myself mm -hmm. to indulge. I'm not going to go crazy with it because I recognize mm -hmm. that it doesn't help myself. That hurts myself because mm -hmm. I know that feeling when I overindulge and I've had to make mm -hmm. up for those choices in the past. That's my congruence. And so the, this is how this, this is the practice, I guess, as you might say. This is the practice. Yes. This is the way, as the Mandalorian might say. This is the way. Have you, watched, <laughs> have you, I haven't watched the show. I just, I, I know everything that happens now, but. Yes, I am that nerd. Yes. Oh, it's, you know what? I love Star Wars. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I am that nerd. Yeah. Well, so I know we're getting to the end of our time together, but there's, but I, I'm, I'm curious when you came back from your new warrior training adventure back in 2004 and you talked to your dad and your brother and your cousins and all the members of your family that had been through it, what was that moment like? Oh yeah. Um, there were a lot of tears is what's true about that. Um, I'll speak for myself. So, you know, there, a lot of the work that I did in the first few years of being connected to MKP had to do with things that happened when I was a kid and getting to a place where my brothers and I, my father and I could actually circle up, literally circle up, and tell the truth about what had happened. And in a, in a way that acknowledged accountability without punishing, mm. right? That's different. That's different. You know, I didn't choose to, none of us chose to, to disconnect from one another, even though we, many of were different in many ways, mm. right? We had vastly different experiences growing up. How I saw what happened is very different than how my brother saw what happened. Hmm. How my dad thinks he did is different than how he did in, in from what I experienced, right? So we had, we had time where we could actually begin to really unpack that and own, own in the way that we talk about it in the Mankind Project, the data judgments and feelings. Mm -hmm. here's the data here's what here's what was recorded here's what actually happened right here's the here are the judgments that i have about you you freaking blah 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 mm -hmm. and here are my feel i feel sad feel angry feel afraid feel ashamed feel ashamed of the way i treated you feel ashamed of of all of that to be able to own that stuff it was very powerful and we're not all, it's not all kumbaya in my family, but it's, it's truthful, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. I'm very grateful to have been through something similar with my father lately, to be able to reconcile with the father is incredibly powerful. Mm. 
And yeah. did he offer some accountability? I guess you might say practices, accountability practices is such a dry way of putting it. Was that spirit re- re- returned in the language that you shared? A lot was, yes. The kind of, so what fell away was the kind of gauze of denial. Mm. And that in itself, just to see and the experience of being able to look in my father's eyes and and be there fully present with him without the gauze of denial. Mm-hmm. That's powerful, right? That for me and with that and internal to me, the, uh, you know, forgiveness is about self. Forgiveness is not about them. Forgiveness is for me, not for them. Mm-hmm. But to be able to, open my heart to my father again, given the truth, you know, to hold, hold me and hold him in, in the truth of what happened and my continuing love. Like, that's powerful. And my mom's, my, my mother passed away before I did the new warrior training adventure and was part of the impetus for me doing the training was the, that recognition. And, and when I think, all those books that I talked about, all those spiritual books that mm-hmm. I talked about at the beginning, they were from my mother's bookshelf. <laughs> all of those books I pulled from her bookshelf. And, and uh, what's beautiful now is that I can see my mother for the imperfect and beautiful person that she was. You know? Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. Amen. Forgiveness is such a powerful and underrated aspect of society of, of being of, of living not even society of living just being able to say i have released whatever it is i'm holding on to that creates this anger resentment judgment whatever i've released it and i'm i'm free that's such a feeling yes yeah and and that and the full recognition yeah to release that and then to be able to recognize both in my father and my mother the tr- the reality of the traumas that they experienced mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like knowing about what happened to them in their childhood, it's like, oh, of course, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and may, may that we all find that kind of compassion for one another. Mm, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, I lost my mother in 2006, as we, as we talked about, and, you know, I've had to go through a similar process and I, I wouldn't say that I've fully forgiven her, but it's not through any lack of conscious effort. It's just that right. conscious process of uh, ever letting go more and more, you know, as I continue to be ready. Cause it's not all totally conscious. It's not all like a wave of magic wand and forgiveness happens. There's some deeply, you know, subconscious processes that happen, but you keep working it. It's, you know, you keep working it and then it happens. And then one day you're free and, and the journey itself becomes worth it. That's yes. Beautiful. Yes. Well, this has been a really fantastic conversation. I really enjoyed talking with you boys and it's been, it's been an honor. Thank you. Mm, well, me too, man. Yeah, I, I have a feeling there's probably more and and we don't have to do that in a podcast either. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I look forward to that. So where can people go to learn more about you, learn more about the Mankind Project and what you do? So find find the Mankind Project in, in the USA at mkpusa.org. Uh, mkpusa.org. Uh, we have all kinds of stuff going on online right now. There's online open men's groups that are happening. There's virtual training processes that are happening. There's all kinds of stuff happening. And I'm really looking forward to getting the new warrior training adventure going again. Mm-hmm. It's going to be in 2021. Don't know when yet, but you know, we'll, we'll see what, how things go. 
And uh, find me, you can find me at Boys and H on Twitter. And the Mankind Project is on all the social platforms. Look for the Mankind Project. Excellent. Well, thank you again, Boyson, for this conversation, for everything that you do on behalf of men and behalf of our brothers. Mm, you're welcome. And thank you for the discovery <laughs> that you're continuing to do. The integration conversation. There you go. episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.